Then our reading, which calls for our attention tonight, is that reading from the prophet Zechariah, and especially these final words. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Admittedly, there is some talk in the Bible that seems quite foreign to most of us living in the United States of America today. And perhaps the most common theme in the Bible that doesn't sound right to our ears is all of the constant talk of kings and kingdoms. That constant longing of the people of God to have a king rule over them. After all, we take pride in our history of not only throwing off a specific king, but sort of of the idea of having a king at all. We like to boast that we Americans rule ourselves. And so, yes, it's very odd for us when we hear anyone talking about wanting, let alone waiting, for a king. But God's people have always spoken this way. They understood that to be ruled by a good king was a very good thing. Now, the part they missed is that they always had a king. That was true from the very beginning. They had a king who was seated in the heavenly places. As we sing in the glory and excelsis each week, our Lord God is a heavenly king. And he's always ruled over his people from on high. Now that truth should have been enough to give God's people great comfort and to give them reason to rejoice. God's people always wanted a king they could see. They wanted a king who would sit on an earthly throne and they wanted a king who would bring obvious earthly blessings like all the other nations had. Oh, they understood that a good king would bring good gifts in his kingdom. They just thought they needed a human in order to sit on the throne, in order for it to be real. A heavenly king, well, that just would not do. You might remember in the scriptures, God eventually gives in to their request and gave them kings to rule over them on earth. Yes, he gave them kings who were supposed to act knowing that they were just sort of placeholders for the real king. They were supposed to remember that they were only to act according to the true king's commands. Of course, many of those kings did exactly the opposite. They didn't operate with that understanding. And instead of leading the people into peace and prosperity as they walked faithfully with their God king, instead they led the people into rebellion and idolatry. And because of that, God's people, who at one time were gathered in a promised land, ruled by a promised king, were exited out of that land. They were taken out and left to be scattered throughout Babylon and other places. They had no land any longer. They had no king, and they thought they had no hope. And that could have been the end of the story. God would have certainly been just to end it there, but it was not. God indeed used a pagan ruler named Cyrus to bring his people back into the promised land. And one of the youngest people that was brought back the first time people returned 
was the one we come to know as the priest and prophet Zechariah. God brought him back in that first wave of people that returned to the promised land. And then he chose him to speak the words of our text. As the people were returning to the land, Zechariah and others were encouraging the people that they should rebuild the temple. And it seemed as if everything was sort of coming back into place. But at the time that Zechariah uttered the words of our text, there was one thing that was obviously missing. While the people had returned to the land and they were beginning to rebuild the temple, there was no king. There was no king that was supposed to be there. That king that was supposed to rule in David's line forever, there was no one to rule over God's people as they had done in the days of old. And that lack of king was not something that they found to be good news, but rather bad news. It was a grave concern to them, for they understood that to have someone with authority watching over you, well, that's a great thing. It's a blessing indeed. They wanted one who would come and rule over them, protecting them, providing for them, and offering peace to them. They wanted one who would stand on earth, in God's place, and bring peace. Let me ask you a question tonight. Would you be willing to give up your own self-rule if such a king were given to you? Would you be willing to live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness? Or is your self-rule, your freedom, your autonomy so precious to you that you wouldn't give it up even if you had such a good king? Of course, I'm not talking about receiving a king to rule over the United States of America or something. I'm asking you if you want that king that Zechariah offers. For Zechariah makes clear that there is one coming who will be king. The Lord God, he says, is coming to be king. He's actually going to put his feet down upon the earth. The heavenly king will be present here. And he's going to rule over everything. There will no longer be kings, but there will only be one king. And when his kingdom is fully established, all sorts of things, beautiful things will occur. Days and nights as we have come to know them, will no longer be necessary. The sun and the moon, they will have passed away, and light, it will reign forever, even into the evening. The king himself will be the light in this kingdom. He says that cold and frost will no longer be present. And I suppose right now all God's people in Minnesota could say amen to that. And there will be water, living water, flowing out of his kingdom in every direction, all the way to the end of the earth. All will be well. So do you want a king? Are you waiting for him to come? Or would you rather be king? So for surprisingly, this king, though he is almighty, he does not right at his arrival force everyone into submission. Well, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his name. But until that day, he actually allows people to choose to not live within his kingdom. They can live in the cold, so to speak, 
all by themselves, clutching their freedom as their most precious idol. They can thirst for all sorts of other things rather than simply drinking the living water he offers. Let us not be so foolish. Instead, let us wait for this king who comes to save us, this king who comes to give us a place in his kingdom. Oh yes, this will mean that we're not free to live according to our own thoughts and our opinions and our rules, but we'll submit to his ways. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. For his ways are far better than ours. And only in his kingdom will we find what we need. Only there will we find forgiveness and salvation. Only from his wooden cross-shaped throne, which was hung high in the sky, will we find lasting life and peace. You know, the first few words of our text tonight spoke about a tumultuous time when the enemies of God would be coming upon the people of God and they would, quite frankly, have their way with God's people. The truth is, most scholars don't know exactly what time this part of this prophecy refers to, although some have tried to identify it. But perhaps it's better if we don't know. Because the fact that it remains general for us perhaps makes it easier to apply to our lives. For you see, isn't it true that when our enemies have their way with us, that that is when we finally understand that us being the king is not so good? That we'd rather have a king that would watch over us. When we're proven to be weak and helpless, then we want one who is almighty to come and save us. We want a king who will come and fight for us. And our king, he's promised to do just that. Yes, this is the king that we have. This king that we wait for in this season. He's not the kind of king who sits back and says, Oh, it's good to be the king and lives in luxury while everyone else suffers. No, he's the kind of king that goes out on the front line, puts his life on the line in order that the enemies might be destroyed. Yes, the one who is coming in the manger will also be the one who will fight the battle to the bitter end for us, all the way to the cross and to the tomb. He will go out and he will fight for us in order that we might live in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. In this season, we are waiting. Yes, we're waiting for Christmas. We're also waiting for the last day. But who are we waiting for? We are waiting for a king. Our king. That king who Zechariah prophesied about nearly a half millennium before he stepped foot on earth. We're waiting for the Lord God, for he is our heavenly king. So let us proclaim with Zechariah, the Lord, he will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Amen.